0: There was this king who had a faithful servant who every in every circumstances the servant would say to the king, "My king, don't be discouraged. God is good, and He works together everything for our good." He would say this at least three or four times a day. Even in the morning, he would wake up and, and wake up the king and say, "My king, don't be discouraged." God is good, and he works everything for our good. One day, they both went on a hunting trip. And as they were hunting, all of a sudden, this wild beast jumps out of a bush and attacks the king. And the faithful servant comes running along his side and killing the beast, but not before the beast bit off one of the king's finger. Now, as the king was laying on the ground, holding his bloody hands in an obvious pain, the servant comes alongside of him and kneels next to the king and he says to the king, my king, don't be discouraged. God is good and he works all things for your good. Now, of course, the king, without showing any gratitude, was furious and he says to the servant, how can you say that to me? If God is good, I would not have been attacked and I would have not lost a finger. And the servant Says to the king, my king, despite all of these things, I can only tell you that God is good and he works all things for our good. Of course, the king flew off the handle and was enraged by the response and he threw his servant in jail. Now, after a time, the king recovered from his wounds and decided to go out on another honey trip. But this time, all of a sudden, he was attacked by these wild savages, and these wild savages were known to offer human sacrifices to their gods. So they tied up the king and carried him off into the village, and as they were ready to serve him up and offer him up as a sacrifice, one of the savages noticed that the king was missing a finger. And they realized that they couldn't offer him up as a sacrifice to their god because it was considered incomplete. Because of that missing finger. So as you can imagine, the king was relieved and he made his way out of that, uh, that village quickly. And he made his way back to the palace. But as he was on his way to the palace, he remembered the words of his servant. When he said that in every circumstances, God is good. And he works all things for our good. So as soon as he got to the palace, the first thing he did was to release his servant. And he began to tell the servant all that took place, saying, God was good to me. I was almost killed, but because of a missing finger, I was spared. God was good. But there was something that was puzzling the king. And he says to his servant, but there's something I don't understand. He said, if God is good, why did he allow me to throw you in jail? And so the servant says to the king, My king, if you hadn't thrown me in jail, I would have been with you in that hunting trip. (laughs) Then he says, And then he says, My king, if you hadn't thrown me in jail, I would have been captured by those wild savages right along with you. Then he finally says, And my king, if you hadn't thrown me in jail, I would have been the one to be sacrificed because I have all of my fingers and you don't. God is good, and He works all things for our good. Amen. One of the most one of the most often quoted and one of the most encouraging verses in the Bible is found in Romans chapter eight and verse twenty-eight. Let's read that. Romans eight and verse twenty-eight says this, and we know that all things work together. For good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now the reason why this verse is so common and so popular and so often quoted is because the verse provides us with a, a sense of peace and comfort in times of distress. Amen? Amen. Paul says here in the beginning of this verse, As, and we know that all things work together for good. There's something about knowing that brings peace and comfort in times of distress. For example, as a matter of fact, not knowing can always lead to fear, doubt, and worry. Let me give you an example. Johnny, your imaginary teenager, was late coming home from school. Unbeknownst to you, though, he was asked to stay after school to get some extra tutoring. But what doesn't help was Johnny left his phone at home. So you can't call Johnny to find out where he is, and Johnny can't contact you to tell you where he is. So you begin to worry. And you wonder why Johnny is not home, not knowing where Johnny is. But the moment Johnny comes home and walks through that door, all worry vanishes. Why? because you know, Johnny is safe. There's something about knowing that brings peace and comfort and confidence. Notice that Paul doesn't say here, and I think all things work together for good. And he didn't say, and I hope all things work together for good. Had he written that I don't know about you, but I would have a hard time getting any kind of confidence or any kind of peace in those words. But Paul says, and we know that all things work together for good. So we can know for certain and with full confidence that God will work together all things in our lives. And as we continue to look at this verse, he goes on to say, and we know that all things work together for good. He said, all things, which means everything. Everything means the totality and the entirety of something. Paul says, all things, not some things. In other words, what Paul is saying is God works in everything and not just isolated incidents. He works in everything. So when Paul says that all things work together, for good, he says things. He was referring to things. Well, what things was he talking about? Obviously, it was more than one thing. But if you look back several verses in, in Romans chapter 8 and begin looking at verse 18, and we get an idea what Paul was referring to when he said things. So if you go there to Romans 8 and verse 18, this is to what Paul says. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which, was, which shall be revealed in us. So notice that Paul was referring to the sufferings in his present time. Now, I believe that some of the sufferings that he was talking about was the persecution of the church at that time. But I believe there were other sufferings that he was referring to because all sufferings come from a fallen and imperfect world. Life happens. We can all agree with that, right? Right? Things sometimes just happens in our lives because of the the, the fact that we live in an impossible, imperfect, evil world. Even in today's society, in our world, we look at all the problems that are going on in life and we see relationship problems. We see marriage problems. We see health problems. We see addiction problems. We see racial problems. We see identity problems. We see self-esteem problems. Problems at home, problems at work. There are problems everywhere. So we can say the same thing. We can say that there are sufferings in our present world, just as it was in Paul's world. But in all the sufferings that Paul was talking about, in all the sufferings that we deal with today in this world, Paul says, all things work together for good. That means that all sufferings, all trials, all difficulties, all disappointments and setbacks will work together for good. Amen. Amen. Paul knew something about suffering. So let's take a peek at some of the things that he had to uh, endure. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at verse 24. Paul says this, five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. That's five separate times. That's 195 lashes in all. Then he goes on to say in verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. I don't know about you, but if I had at least one lash, that'd probably be the end of me. I'd say, that's it, I'm done, I quit. But Paul continues, he said, three times I was beaten with rods. He said, once I was stoned, Three times I was shipwrecked, and once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. Then he goes on in verse 26. I've traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles, which are the non Jews. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas, and I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. Then he finally ends in verse 27. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights, and I've been hungry and thirsty, and I've often gone without food, and I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. So Paul knew something about suffering because he personally lived it and experienced it. So when Paul says all things work together for good, you can also include all the sufferings and all the lashings and all the trials and all the difficulties that we face in life. And those are the things that God will work together for good. And if there was any person who had reason to wonder whether all things work together for good, it would be Paul. But the apostle Paul says, but I know based on his own personal experience, that God did work things out for his good. Hallelujah. So we can take great comfort in knowing that the same God who was able to cause all things to work together for good in Paul's life is the same God that can cause all things to work together for us in our lives. Amen? Amen. Now let me tell you what this verse does not say and it's not saying, is that God does not cause suffering to people. He does not bring suffering on people. He, He doesn't even consider suffering to be good. But what it does say is that God works everything together, all the sufferings that come because of life. And he's able to work all those things together for good. Paul is simply saying or describing how God works in a suffering world. Because he's constantly working. So we've got to believe that God, when he sees our circumstances, he sees it as it is. And he's working things out for our good. We've got to believe that there's a divine activity that is in motion. And God is constantly working in our lives. God is up to something in your life. And he's working it out. Turn to the neighbor next to you and tell him God is up to something. Now, going back to Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, Paul says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who, are, who love God and to those who are at the call according to his purpose. The word working together is actually one word in the Greek. And what the word means, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, but it's spelled this way, S-Y-N-E-R-G-E-O. It's where we get the word synergy from. Now, the word synergy means when when two or more parties or organizations come together, interacting and cooperating and producing something greater than they would have if they were doing it separately and on their own. Take, for instance, a recording artist and a record company. Together, they're able to produce, working together, something far greater rather than if, if they had done it on their own and separate. Are you with me? Yes. Okay. And so that's what the word synergy means. And that's the same thought and thinking that is found here in Romans 8, 28. It means to work together, to cooperate. In other words, what God is saying here is when you put your whole life together, God will take every piece of it and work it together for our good. Hallelujah. Let me, let me, uh, let me give you an analogy that I heard a preacher once say, He said, it's like making a cake. You may not like the taste of some of the ingredients, but when you put it all together, it comes out tasting good. Amen? Amen. God wants to make an amazingly tasty cake with your life. And God will even use the the unpleasant and bitter events or elements in your life to do it. Are are you with me this morning? God takes all of our messes and works it together together. For our good, Hallelujah! One of my favorite stories in the Bible is Joseph, and we all know the story of Joseph. How his life was filled with ups and downs, and many disappointments and many setbacks. And, and uh, the thing about Joseph is, when you look and study into his life, it reminds us how God will use all of the events in our lives and somehow work it together to to, uh, to take us where God wants us to be. He did the same thing with Joseph. He, he brought Joseph from the pit and brought him into the palace. But in between that, he had to deal with some sufferings. Because life happens. He had to deal with his brothers who hated him and was envious of him. They threw him in the pit where he spent a night cold, alone, and abandoned. He was thrown into, He was thrown into slavery and carried off far away from his land, from his home, and then end up being a house slave in an Egyptian home. And when things looked like it was about to improve, he suffered a major setback because he was falsely accused of something that he did not do and was thrown in jail. Now, in the midst of all that, God was working, and it turned out that God brought him from prison and turned him and brought him to a place where he was the second most powerful person in all the country because that's where God wanted him to be. But he was able to use all of the events in his life and work it out till he got to that place. And from that position, which is where God wanted him to be, he was able to save many lives but also save his family from the effects of the seven-year famine that was happening during that time. He was also... Reconciled with his brothers and forgave him for all the things that they had done. He was reunited finally with his father who had, he hadn't seen in years. But most important of all, he fulfilled God's purpose. And that purpose was that he was able to preserve the righteous line that carried the seed of Christ. There's always a purpose that God has when he gets us through all these things and working it together because there's a place that God wants us to be. Because he wants to fulfill a purpose. But let me ask this question. With everything that Joseph had gone through, was it clear to him that God was working together all things when he was in the pit? Was it clear to Joseph that God was working all things together when he was being sold into slavery? Or was it clear to Joseph that God was working together all things when he was thrown in jail and wasted away for two years of his life? It is very difficult during hard times to see God working. Uh, Are you hearing me this morning? And discouragement can creep very easily into our lives because our limited perspective will cause us to wonder, is God actually working in my life? Is God even hearing my prayers Is God even doing something with my situation? But I like to use this analogy when it comes to God's perspective and our perspective. When we go to a parade, we're always trying to find the right spot to get a better view. And when we watch a parade, we can watch it one or sometimes two marching bands at a time or sometimes one or two floats at a time. God's perspective, however, is that God sees the entire parade. You see, we forget that God sees the big picture as it pertains to our lives. Listen to what Jeremiah, because God assures us of a great future. Listen to Jeremiah; <clears throat> he says this in twenty-nine, verse eleven, a very another very familiar verse of Scripture. For I know the plans I have for you, and these plans are for what? For good, and not for disaster. For good, not for failure. For good, not for evil. So that he can give you a future and a hope. We can't imagine the good that God has in store for us. All we can do is trust him in our present situation and in our future. Because God has something good in store. Are you hearing me this morning? And there are many of us here this morning that feel like they're without hope experiencing no peace and wonder and they can't even see any way out of their situation but God said he has a plan and that plan for you is for good and not for evil not for failure so that he can give you a good future now go back to Romans chapter 8 and look at verse 28 Have you ever given any thought that God is working, all the time? When we read Romans eight twenty eight, Paul says, "And we know that all things work together for good." That word "working together" means or implies a present uh, or, or a present situation or present action. Paul is not saying here that all things work will eventually work on its own or by itself. He's not saying that all the situations that we go through will work itself out on its own. No, what he's implying is that God is the one that works things together for our good. And so, and that word present action is the key word because God is presently, even as we're sitting here sweating because we have no AC, he's still working it out. Are you hearing me this morning? God is the one who is presently active and working things together in our lives. Even God works on the Sabbath day. Do you believe that? There was a story. If you remember Jason Fuentes last last Sunday, and he began to share the story about this man who would be brought into the pool of Bethesda, waiting for the pool to be stirred so that somebody can bring him in and he can be healed of his infirmities. And the scripture says that he had been dealing with this affliction for, 20, for 38 years. And for 38 years, he, he, laid on, he would go to that pool waiting for somebody to bring him in, but nobody would. Until Jesus came along and Jesus healed him. But it was on the Sabbath day that Jesus healed him. And when the religious leaders heard about this, they began to harass Jesus, persecute him, and even, they even wanted to kill him because he broke the Sabbath rule. By healing someone on the Sabbath day. Now I want you to go to John chapter 5 and verse 17. And I want you to read Jesus' response to these religious leaders. But Jesus answered him and said, My father has worked even until now, which is the Sabbath day. He has never ceased working and he's still working. And I too must be at work or divine work. So Jesus tells the religious leaders that my father's always working, he never stops working, so why should I? God may have rested from his creation on the seventh day, but he did not rest from his work of sustaining his creation. See, God did not create the world and completed it and then left it to run on its own. The scripture tells us in Hebrews 1.3 that God, through his son, upholds, sustains, maintains all things or the entire universe by the word of his power. So God is still working. Now, we know that in Genesis chapter 2, we, we know that God created the heavens and the earth and he rested on the seventh day. But does that mean that God stopped doing good even on the seventh day? Imagine if God decided that he was going to take every Sunday off from everything. No matter what the need is. That means if you need to call on God, you have to call him between Monday through Saturday. Because he's out on Sundays. And if you try to get a hold of him on Sunday, all you're going to get is a heavily automated voicemail saying, I'm sorry, I can't answer your prayers today. But please leave a name and number and a brief request, and I'll be sure to get back to you on Monday. I mean, that's ridiculous. But God is working all the time, every day. He's like a 7-Eleven store. Always open, always working, and always available. While everyone else is shut down, closed down, and unavailable. God is constantly working. So just because we don't see God working in the midst of our circumstances does not mean that God is not doing anything. Does not mean that God is taking a break. He's not on a lunch break. He's not on a siesta. God is working. Please know that. Now, let me take a moment to talk to you about Moses. Moses. And we all know about Moses, you know. If you don't, if you haven't learned uh, about Moses from the scriptures, I'm sure you've learned a lot about the story uh, in the movie of Charlton Heston. When the, you know, how many of you saw that movie by Charlton Heston? Moses, yeah. That's why I learned a lot about the scriptures. Nah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but as we know, that Moses was called by God to be the deliverer of His people. Where he delivered him from bondage. But what I want to do is I want to bring your attention to Moses' earlier life. Because in his earlier life, he lived in Egypt. And the Bible says that he was brought up by Pharaoh's daughter. And so he he had all of the finest education and training. And the scriptures describe uh, Moses as being considered a great man of his time. He was very articulate, and everything he does was wonderful. He had a good life, and he had a great future. But Moses always felt in his heart that he had a calling apart from God. He never forgot who he was. And at the age of 40, one day God stirred in his heart to go and visit his people because he felt that God called him to be a leader among his people. And so, and keep in mind, he's never been there because this is where all his people were. Which they were all slaves, and he was living in high, in high society and in royalty. So he decided to go down and visit his, his uh, fellow Israelites until he saw one of the soldiers beating on one of his fellow Israelites. And you remember the story. So he came to his rescue and killed the soldier and dragged his body, hit his body. And the scripture says that Moses thought that by protecting his fellow Israelite, that they would recognize the calling upon his life, that he was called to be a leader among his people and that God would use him one day to deliver his people from, uh, into freedom. That's what he thought. But the scripture says they didn't think that at all. They didn't realize or even recognize that he was their leader. And so when word got out from the king that Moses killed one of his soldiers, the king sought out to kill him, and that's when he fled Egypt and spent the next 40 years of his life in obscurity. He settled down, had a family, and living a life as a shepherd until God interrupted his life. Go with me to Exodus chapter 3. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, look, the cry of the people, this was God speaking to, to Moses, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Verse 10, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh, for you must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. Now, 40 years ago, he was on fire and ready to go to lead his people. Now, after 40 years later, at age 80, He was not interested in leading anybody except his sheep. And it's interesting because, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. But all along, God's goal and God's purpose was to deliver his people. And he was going to use Moses because he's been working quietly in Moses' life, preparing him for what was in store for Moses' life. But I have a question. What about all of those years that Moses wasted when he was still living in Egypt before he ran away because of one bad decision? Now listen very carefully. The consequences of a bad decision can never be removed. And all the years that have been wasted are lost forever. When Moses made one bad decision, it may have altered his life, but it didn't change God's plan. It didn't change God's plan for him or for his people. Understand this. What God did. Even though Moses spent the last 40 years of his life in obscurity. Having wasted the first 40 years of his life. This is what God did. God did what he poured into him. The value of those lost 40 years. And poured it into the next 40 plus years of his life. Many of you this morning are still being bothered by regrets of your past. Because maybe you made some bad decisions. Maybe because of lost opportunities or wasted years. Some of you may have said, I wish I can go back in time to make up for the lost years or make up for the lost opportunities. If that's you this morning, this is what God will do. God will take the rest of your years, work it together together, To make it more meaningful, more productive, more successful, and with purpose. Are you hearing me this morning? So don't get hung up of all the years that you've wasted. Don't get hung up of all the regrets. God can turn all that around and make your latter years greater and more important and more meaningful. Are you hearing me? Tap the neighbor in front of you tell him God has a plan. Remember what Jeremiah 29:11 says: "God knows the plan in your life. He says, His plans for you are good and not for evil, to give you a better future and hope. So God works together great things that is beyond our understanding. And it may not be obvious, and it may not be immediate. But know that God is working for your good. So when you find yourself in a dark place and you're crying out to God and saying, God, where are you? Be still and listen carefully for that still small voice. And hear God say, trust me, I'm working on it. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Look at verse 5. We don't always know or understand what God is doing, but we don't need to. We just need to trust him. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 5 says, Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. We may not know or understand how God is working things in our lives. And we might not know or understand when God is working things in our lives. But we know that God is working. Say that with me. God is working. working. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, don't be discouraged God is working it out. God will take all the events of your life and work them out for our ultimate good. Now, We spent a good amount of time talking about the first part of the verse. The first part of the verse is the one that's most often quoted. And it's the most encouraging. But then there's another part of that verse. Paul says in Romans 8.28, And we know that all things work together for good. But it doesn't stop there. To those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. In other words, the promise of that first part of that verse is not for everyone. It's only for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, that means that God is not offering us a blank check to do whatever we want and expect God to do and work things in our lives for our good. That's not what God is doing here. He will work all things in your life. But the question is, do you love him? what does that mean to love God? Husbands, do you remember the time when you first met your wife and you fell in love with her? And do you remember when, she, when you found out that she loved you back? How did you feel? Did you feel like you were on a cloud? Did you feel like you were on a mountaintop? Husbands, Now, let's fast forward 20 years. Are you still in that cloud? Are you still in that mountaintop? Or did you descend a little bit? The Bible says that we must love God. Well, what does that mean? Well, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. What does that mean, the commandments, keeping the commandments? Well, Jesus taught on the commandments in Matthew. And he said, the greatest commandment of all is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. And then the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law is based on those two commandments. So rather than worry about trying to figure out how to what not to do, don't steal, don't kill, don't covet, Focus on what you can do, and that's love God and love people. Because when you do those things, you will complete and fulfill all of God's law. Now, if you say you love God and choose to live your life the way you want to, you don't really love God. And if you say you love God, but you don't love your brother or your sister, then you really don't love God. Go with me to 1 John chapter 4. In verse 20, it says this. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. Pretty strong words. For if we don't love people, we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? Then verse 21. And he has given us this command, he meaning Jesus. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Now, if I was to ask you this morning, how many of you love God, I'm sure that every hand will go up, and I would not doubt it. But I think that we need to think back and look back and say, okay, do I really love God? Am I obeying his commandments? Am I loving him with all of my heart and with all of my soul and with all of my mind? Am I loving my fellow brother or my fellow sister? Only you can answer that. And we can understand why so many uh, believers are still struggling in their messes, wondering why God is not coming through for them and why God is not answering their prayers. Could it be that maybe we need to learn or, or, or work on our love walk? To truly love God We must have an ongoing active relationship with him that are based on faith and obedience. God will work behind the scenes on your behalf, making sure that even in the middle of mistakes and and tragedies, that God will see to it that good will always be the result if you love God. And understand this. The Bible says that God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that will help us to walk in love. It's the Holy Spirit that will help us to walk this love walk that God has called us to love. He will help us. So we can take great comfort in knowing that. Then he says, call according to his purpose. What are the called? Who are the called? The believers. The Bible tells us that, that the, the word the church in the, in, in the Greek is the ecclesia, which means the called out ones. So we're referring to the body of believers. We're the called out ones. But here's the thing the Bible says that there are many who are called, and there are few that are chosen. The ones who are chosen are the ones that respond to the call. The word called, another word for call, is to invite. And those that respond to the call are the ones who've been invited and responded to that invitation. And so God has to draw us and call us. And when we respond, how many of you remember when you first got saved, or just before you got saved, you were thinking about God, you were thinking about the Bible. What led you to that place? The Holy Spirit. He was the one that was tugging at your heart, drawing you close to God, making you aware of God. And making you aware or, or having a desire to want to know truth. So when God calls us and we respond by repenting from all of our sins, which is turning away from our sinful life. And then believing in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And then acknowledging and accepting the work on the cross. And then to finally embrace the Lord Jesus into our hearts and minds. And making him your personal Lord and Savior. That's Who are the saved or the called. And so if you're called. Then God will work all things in your life. As I get ready to close. Understand that the Bible says that we are called according to his purpose, which means that there's a purpose behind his calling. And when we don't answer the call, you know, there are a lot of people in this world that are trying to find themselves. And my question is, how can they find themselves that they don't even know what they're looking for? So their search for finding themselves is meaningless because... They're coming away from God's purpose. You look at all the appliances that are in your house, microwaves, stoves, refrigerators, toasters, all of these appliances have a purpose that had been assigned by its manufacturer. None of these appliances need to find out their reason for being or existing. All they need to do is simply do what was on the mind of the manufacturer to do what it was designed to do. People don't need to find themselves. They, need, they don't need to go look for themselves. Because God already assigned them a reason for being, a reason for existing. All we need to do is simply respond and fulfill that assignment. And that goes for each and every one of you this morning, and those of you who are watching. God has assigned something that gives you a reason for being and existing. And the fact that God works together all things in your life is an indication of how much value God places in our lives. As a matter of fact, to show you how much value God places in your life, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and look at verse 20. The Bible says that God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body the death of his son was the price that God had paid. Because you were worth it. John uh, 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's how much worth you are to God. Let me say this. Let me end with this. If I was to pull out a $100 bill, and I would raise it in a hand, and I say, who wants a $100 bill? How many hands will go up? How many, let's see a show of hands. How many hands will go up if I was offering a $100 bill? Now, if I took that same $100 bill and I crumpled it up, and then I say, who still wants that $100 bill? How many of you will still raise your hand? What if I took that $100 bill, I stepped on it, rubbed it in dirt, and put it in grime, put grime all over it? And then hold it up and say, do you still want this $100 bill? <laughs> Why? Because it hasn't lost its value no matter what it gone through. That same thing applies with us. No matter what we go through, we still don't lose value. We may have been stepped on. We may have been abused. But we still haven't lost our value. Even if we got ourselves dirty, when God looks at you, he doesn't look at you as though you were chump change. If the whole world was crashing down around you, you still are valuable to God. Are you hearing me? You're still worth something to God. And because he's willing to work together all things in your life, No matter what it is, you're worth something to God. For him to want to do that and work it out. God is involved and invested in your life. And he's not going to give up because you're worth something to him. Are you hearing me this morning? Turn to the person next to you and say, God is, you are worth something to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord God, for the unseen workings that are going on in our lives. Lord, we thank you, Lord God, even though it may seem like you're not here, even though it seems like you're not working, but Lord, we know that you are working. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, you're always available. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the work that's being done in everyone that is here today and those who are watching. Thank you for the work that's being done in their lives. Thank you for not quitting on them. Thank you for not giving up on them. And Lord, we thank you, Father, for everything that is said and done. We give you glory, we give you honor, and we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's people say, Amen. 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 Glory to God. Before I release you, let me just say this. If you're here this morning, and if you're here watching, and for the first time, and you've never given your life to the Lord, God is calling you. He may be tugging at your heart. He may bring you to a place where you're starting to become aware of things. Maybe becoming aware of God, and maybe you're wondering about the Bible, and maybe you're starting to think that, I need to go to church. Well, that's the Spirit of God tugging at your hearts. And my encouragement to you is, don't ignore it. Don't reject it, but answer the call. It's God inviting you to come to Him in fellowship with Him. So if that's you this morning... We're going to have some people here in the corner, right here in the front row, who are willing to pray with you and talk with you and give you some materials to help explain to you the decision that you made. Those of you who are watching, there's a number on your screen. Please call us. We'd love to give you that same material and talk to you and pray with you as well. I pray that God has spoken to your heart and encouraged your faith this morning. And know this, that when you leave here, know that God is still working in your life. Don't ever doubt that for a moment because you are very very valuable to God. Amen. So at this time of-